All right, well, welcome back to the All In, or welcome for the first time, if you're first time listening to this today, to the All In podcast. Again, my name is Tim Aiken, pastor here at First Baptist Douglasville. I'm joined for the second week in a row by my hero, by my dad, uh, Danny Aiken, or Dr. Danny Aiken serves currently as the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Gave him a much fuller introduction on last week's episode of the podcast. If you missed that, you can go back and look at that. But what we are doing for the next several weeks on the podcast as we continue to think through this all-in theme is what does it look like as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, to go all-in on theology, to have a correct biblical and theological understanding of the biblical doctrines, the core biblical teachings of the Word of God. And so on our episode last week, we talked about the doctrine of the Bible. Now today, we're going to move and we're going to talk about the doctrine of God. And so we're going to go ahead, Dad, and we're just going to jump right in and and just begin to kind of ask you some questions and uh, see where see where we go. So I'll begin kind of with a similar question to what I started with on the last episode. So kind of summarize for us what the people of God, okay, throughout uh, human history, okay, what have the people of God believed about God? I mean, who, who is the God that we as Christians worship? Who is the God of the Bible? Summarize that uh, for us. Well, Tim, using biblical terms, we could say that the God of the Bible is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We could also say that the God of the Bible is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, both of those statements open up a world for us to think about and to reflect. So when we say that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we mean he is the God of Genesis 1-1, the God who in the beginning created all things. It's interesting. The Bible nowhere really tries to prove the existence of God, though I do think there is a place for that, and in particular in what we call philosophy or or philosophical theology, and we can touch on that real quickly if you want, but the Bible starts with God. In other words, the reality of God's existence is a starting point. Uh, It's an axiom. It's a foundational principle from which the Bible moves, all right? Then, Moving through the totality of Scripture, we understand that there's only one God. So we refer to that as monotheism, mono meaning one, theism, God. So there's only one God. But we also have to acknowledge there are also two other monotheistic faiths. One is Judaism and the other is Islam. Both of them affirm monotheism, that there's only one God. However, we have a much different understanding of the one God because we believe that that one God exists as a trinity, as a triune being. And by that, we mean that the Bible teaches that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Furthermore, the Father is not the Son, The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, yet they do exist distinctively as three persons within one being or one God. And so I often uh, remind the students here at Southeastern, and when I teach on this, 
Trinitarianism sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Uh, there are other religions that have a plurality of gods. It's known as polytheism. Poly means many, theism, God. So think Hinduism, which has literally millions of gods. Or think Mormonism, uh, which is a Christian cult. And by that, I mean a false teaching that came out of Christianity. Both of them are polytheistic. They have a multitude of gods. But we are set apart from Islam and Judaism because of our understanding of God as a triune being. And Tim, this is not something that we came up with philosophically driven. Uh, it was driven by the testimony of the Bible. When you read the Bible, it speaks very clearly of God as father. But then you also see in the Bible that it speaks of God as the son who is distinct from the father. Then you also read uh, the Bible speaking of the Holy Spirit as God, who is also distinct from both the son and the father. And so the early church, most of whom, by the way, were led by pastors, mm -hmm. pastor theologians, they were driven, well, the father is God, the son is God, the spirit is God, and yet there's only one God. And so out of their reflection upon the Bible emerged the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, yeah, it's, the word, it's the word Trinity in the Bible. No, it, right. it isn't. But just because the word isn't there doesn't mean the concept isn't there. Right. That's right. a very good point. Uh, inerrancy is not in the Bible. Right. But I believe the Bible teaches inerrancy. And right. so I do believe, though the word is not in the Bible, the Bible clearly affirms the doctrine of a triune God, all, by the way, equal in essence, but distinct in person. And so the Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God, yet they are distinct in their personalities. Okay, now are they distinct in personalities? Are they also distinct in job or assignment or things that they do? Well, they are one in will, okay, but distinct in function. So, for example, uh, it is the father who sends the son, and it is the father and the son who sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost when the church is born. And so you see um, a distinction in their assignments so that the father, maybe I'd say this way, the father is the author of redemption. Uh, the son is the administrator of redemption. And uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who is the direct architect of redemption in the sense that he now embodies the body of Christ and carries out the work of Christ in the interim of his first and second coming. So they work together in perfect loving cooperation, but they do have different roles and different assignments. Yes, that's that's a good way of describing it. Okay, so so and so God, we believe according to scriptures, right, that God has always existed. Yes. This way. It's always been there's never been a time that God was not, there'll never be a time that God is not. So God has always existed in this Trinitarian relationship. And so we speak of that as his infinity and his eternality. 
Okay, so so speak of that, and because and this will help us as we get ready for our conversation for the next episode on on humanity. But this will prepare. So, if God always has existed as a triune God, which means He's always existed in some type of relationship to Himself. So, what implications does that have for us as people made in His made in His image? Well, we uh, talk about uh, sometimes use the phrase the imminent Trinity who is God within himself and God lives in a perfect loving community within himself. That has massive ramifications, for example, for family. And it also has massive ramifications for the church because we reflect as image bearers of God himself as a being that exists within community. So in marriage, it's not the, in family. It, it's not uh, a one-to-one correspondence in terms of an analogy, but you do have a husband, you do have a wife, and you do have children. But the key is not that there are three uh, individuals there, because we're not only distinct from one another, we are completely separate from one another, yet the way we interact with one another is to be as a loving community. The same thing is true when it comes to the body of Christ, the church. So it has very significant ramifications. Furthermore, we are also equal in essence with one another, but we have different assignments within the relationships as well. So that we, again, are uh, reflecting and mirroring the relationship that exists within the triune God. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, just, I just think it's helpful when people begin to understand if we are creating God's image, these are ways that we reflect God. And the Trinity is what helps us to understand that. Even though the Trinity is a hard concept to fully understand, I don't know that we fully understand it, but when we begin to understand how we as humans reflect the image of God, the Trinity begins to be fleshed out a little more clear uh, in our minds and, and, and it gives us a little bit of a better understanding. There's a playful statement that we say, try to explain the Trinity, and you lose your mind. Uh, deny the Trinity, and you lose your soul. <laughs> exactly. So we affirm it. Uh, we can believe and understand much about it, but God is inexhaustible. Uh, mm-hmm. God is infinite. We're not. And so we rest in that reality. And actually, it is the occasion not for frustration, but for worship. Right. Okay, now when it comes to the Trinity, okay, is there any kind of subordination that's happening? Now, what I mean by that is, is God the Father at a higher level than God the Son or God the Spirit? And we'll get the Spirit in a minute, but us being Southern Baptist, I don't know that we've always done a really good job of explaining well the importance of the Spirit in a biblical way uh, and in a way that makes a difference in people's lives. So help us think through, uh, is there a hierarchy? Is, is one member of the Trinity better than the other? Help us think through that. Well, in one sense, that's an easy question to answer, but another, it's a bit complex. And in our day and time, there has been some debate within uh, evangelicalism about what is known as the eternal subordination of the Son, right. which I don't affirm and which I think is probably uh, incorrect, though I have some dear friends that affirm it. And I don't think it makes them a heretic because they're not talking about subordination in terms of essence. They're talking about subordination in terms of function 
our assignment. Now, having said that, in the incarnation, when the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took upon himself a complete, full human nature apart from sin for the assignment uh, and the purpose of accomplishing our redemption, he clearly entered into a subordinate relationship with his father in terms of his assignment and his function. You say, why do you say that? Well, just take the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, it's very clear that Jesus, the Son, is fully God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He claims identity with the God of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, the I am that I am. Uh, he says that he who has seen me has seen the Father, all right? So clearly equality of essence as God. Yet in that same gospel, Jesus will say, I only do that which the Father shows me. He also says, the Father is greater than I. So what he means in the incarnate state, though he remains equal in essence, he is subordinate in his assignment and function for the purpose of saving us from our sins, which then leads us to a very important and practical understanding, and that is this. There is no uh, inferiority in submissiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, we see this in all relationships of life, but most importantly, we see it in the relationship of the incarnate son to his father. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there is no sense in which one is better than the other or more God than another. But there is a, a glad, willing submission of the son to the father. And I believe of the spirit to both the father and the son, uh, because he speaks in terms of, Jesus, the sending of the Spirit, sending language, both from the Father and the Son, which implies that one sending another has some um, sense of authority in that sending relationship. Okay. Yeah. Very. Okay. Very good. I, I, I think it's helpful for people to understand how that how that works. And so let's let, let's move for a minute. To the Holy Spirit. So I want to move there. We're not going to have uh, just one sermon where we preach on the Holy Spirit. So this is where we're going to unpack it for a minute. At least I know for me, obviously, I, I grew up listening to a lot of your Bible teaching. Uh, but I definitely think, you know, growing up in the 80s, 90s, coming out of the 60s and 70s, you know, in the Southern Baptist Church, there was an overreaction at times to the charismatic movement and things that were happening, obviously, before I was before I was born, but obviously I, I, I lived in the aftermath of that. So growing up as a kid, you know, I, I can remember it, it was rare unless you went to you know, different kind of ethnic or even racially different churches to see people clapping hands, to see people raising hands in worship. Uh, and almost it was, it was viewed as weird and, and you shouldn't do that. Right. It's, it's, it was kind of too much in the spirit. Obviously I think things have gotten a little, have changed a little bit. And I think the Southern Baptist church has kind of adapted over time, but there's definitely been a response to the charismatic movement. So help us understand correctly the doctrine of the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is to practically impact. Because the Holy Spirit plays a massive role 
in the life of the believer. Okay, so help us to understand. That's a big question. Help us understand the doctrine of the Spirit well and the role the Spirit is supposed to play in our lives as Christians. Well, the first thing, Tim, I would say is it's imperative that we understand that the Holy Spirit is a person and not a it. Sometimes you'll hear people unwittingly refer to the spirit as an it, but the spirit is a person, just like the son is a person and like the father is a person. So he has all of the characteristics of personality, and he also has all of the characteristics and attributes of God. So just very quickly, think of the three omnis, omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresent. All three members of the Trinity have those three qualities in their perfection. Think in terms of eternality, infinity. Think of their moral attributes of righteousness, holiness, justice, and so on. All of those attributes are attributes that could only be true of a person. And so God the Father has all of that. God the Son has all of that. God the Holy Spirit has all of that. So when we are converted, The Holy Spirit as a person comes to live inside of us with all of the personality, all of the attributes, all of the gifts and powers that accrue to him as a member of the Godhead. Uh, Chuck Swindoll used to say, it's amazing. God can live anywhere he wants to live because God is God. Mm. And yet of all the places that God could have chosen to live, he chose to live inside of you and inside of me. It's amazing to think that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, true both of the believer, but true also of the church. So the ramifications of this are massive. Furthermore, I'll give one example that you can follow up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're told that the Holy Spirit is our primary teacher when it comes to understanding rightly the word of God. So it's amazing that no matter who you are as a believer, no matter how much education you have, you have a divine teacher living inside of you who has as his goal and desire to instruct you well in your understanding of the word of God. What an incredible gift that God gives us both his word, but also himself to help us understand his word. Right, right. Yes. Okay. So with that, so what is the Holy Spirit's role in salvation? What role does the Holy Spirit play there? He regenerates us. Okay. Which means he converts us. So he imparts to us God's life through the presence of himself in our life. He turns our dead spiritual life into a living spiritual life. He comes inside of us to live uh, and to dwell. And he changes us in terms of both our eternal destiny from hell to heaven. And he also changes us in terms of what kingdom we're now a part of, former the kingdom of darkness, now the kingdom of light. And as we said, he comes inside of us to teach us. But in great relevance for your church, he he indwells us and gives us spiritual gifts so that we now have a spiritual supernatural gift, maybe more than one, not all of them. No believer has all of them, but all believers have at least one. And those gifts are essential for the health and the well-being of the local church. Now, some folks would say, well, 
where are these gifts listed? It's very easy. Two chapter 12s, two chapter 4s. Uh, Ephesians 4, first, uh, Peter 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. So two things I would say. Number one, read those passages and get familiar with the gifts. And then secondly, you want to find out your gift? Well, just jump in with all fours, start serving in the local church. And I believe God through his spirit and through affirmation that comes from our brothers and sisters will guide you in the direction where you are spiritually gifted by the Lord for your work of ministry within the body of Christ. And what I've discovered is this, when you're exercising your gift as it was supernaturally given to you by God, you find great joy, great satisfaction, as well as great affirmation from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. You actually gave me a very helpful definition. I don't know if you remember this or not, but through a, through a text, I asked you to give me just a very simple definition of a spirit of spiritual gifts. And uh, you said the purpose of spiritual gifts are to make Jesus more famous and the church stronger. Something, something that like that. sounds good. Yeah, it, I don't it was, it, but I like it. It was very good. I had, I, we used it on a Sunday morning in a service. It was, it was, right ahead. it was fantastic. It was very good. Uh, and it's the spirit, right? The Holy spirit that gives to us those, those, those gifts. And so he plays a massive role. Now, something that's not talked about a lot, I don't think in the church is the Bible says that we are able to grieve the Holy spirit. Now it's different in new Testament language than old Testament language. In old Testament language, Psalm 51, which is my favorite, my favorite passage of scripture of the Bible. David, after he's committed this sin with Bathsheba and he's repenting of his sin, he says something very interesting in Psalm 51. He asked God, do not cast your Holy Spirit from me, right? In the Old Testament, it appears as if the Holy Spirit would come and could leave, right, from time to time. And we know the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and left Saul, right? And David would have known that and didn't want that to happen to him. Now, in the New Testament, that doesn't that doesn't happen. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and go and, and leave, but it does seem that the Bible uses language that the Holy Spirit comes within us, but that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Talk, talk about that for uh, a minute. What does that mean to grieve the Spirit? Uh, what does that maybe look like practically in the life of a Christian? I mean, that's not something that's talked about a lot. So what help us understand that. Well, first, the leaving of uh, Saul and David's prayer may have related to their anointing as king. Okay. Don't remove your anointing. And it's interesting, both of them were kings. One experienced the removal. The other prayed that it wouldn't happen because of his sin. Right. But in the New Testament, all of us are kings. We're all priests. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all prophets in one sense, in which we're called because of being in Christ to proclaim God's word. The idea of grieving is, I think, easily illustrated by what we can do in a relationship that means a lot to us, whether it be marriage or whether it be uh, with our children or our parents. And it really means to break the heart. Mm. So is it possible for us to lose the Holy Spirit? No, we are permanently indwelt, sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. So we are not going to ever lose the God who dwells within us. But because he is a person who lives in that kind of close, intimate, personal way with him, we can break his heart. We can disappoint him when we sin and when we do not listen well to his voice. Because I know in my own life, Tim, um, 
the Holy Spirit is pretty good at pointing out to me my sin. Right. Uh, people say, well, how will I know? Uh, he's talking. Yeah. Uh, the problem is you may not be listening. But I know that when I say things I shouldn't say or listen to things I shouldn't listen to or look at things I ought not to listen to or I don't do what I know he is moving me and telling me to do through that still quiet voice. I've never heard God speak out loud. But I've heard him speak very, very loud in my heart and in my spirit and soul. And when I ignore that voice or disobey that voice, I, I hurt him. I, I grieve him. I break his heart. I disappoint him. And I feel it. Uh, I sense it. And the beauty of the gospel is I can flee to him for forgiveness and I receive it instantaneously because he is that kind of great, loving, forgiving God. But I do believe uh, uh, that those who follow Jesus can and do commit that sin. My grief is I think too many have become hardened mm. in such a way that they don't hear. And of course, part of that is because we don't know the word because the Bible tells us uh, when we're walking down a path that is going to line up with the grief of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So even though the spirit, fact, that verse isn't it in Ephesians four thirty. Yes, I think so. Yes, sir. Look at all the things that are mentioned around it, and you get a laundry list of the kind of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. They're right there, surrounding verse thirty of Ephesians chapter four. Yeah. So it's almost like this idea that even though the Spirit lives within us, we we can ignore we can ignore the Spirit. I yes. mean, we can. Yeah, we we can essentially or. You hear him, and then you ignore him and try not to listen to him, or you know th things of that nature. And it's kind of like what we do with with our mate without saying it out loud. It, it, exactly. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't care what you say. We do that to God's spirit. And, and when that communication, like in a marriage, okay, I think the most important thing in any marriage is communication. Those things are very important. But when communication breaks down, the marriage begins to break down. Same thing in relationship with the Lord. If we don't communicate with the Lord through prayer, through the study of his word, through the worship with the saints, things of that nature, that relationship begins to break down. And the spirit, I, mean, I think I'm saying this, the, the spirit might seem to get quiet in our life. And we're, we're not as sensitive to the spirit. There's not one to talk about that in relation to the doctrine of God, because I just believe that sometimes the Holy Spirit, that topic, that doctrine is neglected. But the Holy Spirit plays such a practical and significant role in the day-to-day -day life of a Christian. If, if you want to overcome your sin, you've got to be full of the Spirit. If you want to respond to people in a way that's grace-filled when they hurt you, you've got to be full of the Spirit. You've got to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And 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 I think this is something that we don't we don't think about a lot, but obviously the doctrine of God highlights highlights that. So what I would say, Tim, is don't let the excesses deny you of the joy of his presence. Hmm. Don't yep. let the excesses deny you of the joy of his presence. You find him and you just um, soak yourself in him just like you do in a loving marital relationship and that you'll be fine. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. That's a great way to say it. Well, there's so much more. Obviously, we could talk about we could exhaust the doctrine of God. Don't have time for so we'll. We'll, we'll wrap it there. Uh, Dad's going to be back for the for one more uh, episode of the podcast next week as we talk about the doctrine of humanity and sin. We're going to try to do those together again. 
we're, we're, we're trying to do the impossible here and talk about these these massive doctrines in less than 30 minutes uh, with lots of resources out there you guys can find to help you to think about these even more deeply and, and in a fuller way. So, Dad, thanks for being on this episode. We'll look forward to seeing you one more time on the podcast. Thanks, Tim. Got it.